0: Okay, if you would uh, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Psalm 51. You know this one. Love Psalm 51. It reminds me of uh, the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God that uh, David says after this horrible sin that he's committed, uh, the adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband murdered. I mean, David, at this point, this is low-life scum type stuff. You talk about wanting Justice. Uh, There are situations like uh, the thing that happened at Moore last month where you want justice. Well, this would be a situation where I would put David in that same situation. You put me in there. If I'm Uriah's first cousin, I want justice, right? If I'm somebody like that, that maybe uh, David has come down on me and told me that I have broken God's law and he brings punishment on me... I'm kind of, maybe if I'm sitting in prison and I hear about this, because you know it traveled like wildfire through all of the guards and others, because David didn't go get Bathsheba himself. He would send someone to go get her. You know by this point it has spread. Whether David wants to admit it or not, it's all over the place, I'm going to assume. And if I'm sitting in prison and I hear the rumors, and then David's not in prison, David's not executed. I'm a little bit ticked off on all of this because I'm a justice person. Probably you are too. We want justice, law and order and justice. But uh, it's interesting, David cries out for mercy. You know, uh, when you stand before God, you don't really want justice, do you? Because if you get what you deserve, then you're condemned to hell forever. You're a lawbreaker. And uh, the soul that sins, it shall die. And God said, I will by no means clear the guilty. So you're in trouble. You want mercy. And on top of that, you want grace. Mercy keeps you from getting what you deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. And uh, that's all done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's such a unique thing. Among all world religions, Christianity is unique. Because other religions have you work and earn your way up you know, to some degree and in some way. And uh, yet, here we are as sinners before a just God, and if He just simply goes, poof, don't worry about it, no sin, then He's no longer just. No more than if a judge set free the murderer of your husband or wife. And you would say, this is unjust, where is the justice? Well, if God just said, poof, don't worry about it, you guys, then he would be an unjust judge. But the Bible talks about him being both the just one and the justifier. How did he justify sinners without violating his own justice? Well, he did it in a unique way. He punished his own son, the innocent one, who took our place. So the justice of God is satisfied by putting the wrath of God on Jesus, where he paid it in full, And then the mercy and the loving kindness of God is expressed when he does what? He forgives those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, his only son, as full payment for their sin. And man, that ought to make an Episcopalian shout. I mean, that's good news. That's really, really, really good news. If you understand your guilt. And there's where I think we... Fail sometimes when we try to witness to people. We go, Oh, I've got good news for you. God will let you into heaven free. And they go, Well, He ought to. I'm a good person. What are you trying to say about me? And they don't understand themselves as being sinners. They see themselves as being imperfect. And being imperfect is a little different than being a sinner, isn't it? Because being imperfect could mean you just, well, you didn't have enough skill. Or you just weren't talented enough. I mean, if I sat down and tried to draw uh, a portrait of somebody, you would, you know, look at that and go, what in the world is wrong with you? I'm just not good at that. I mean, I can draw a head and eye, two eyes and a nose and a mouth, but it doesn't look like anybody. You know, I'm just not very good at it. I'm an imperfect artist, we might say. And you might say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You tried. You tried. Um, sometimes, you know, you may go out and you may play in a sport and you know what, you didn't win, but you did your best. Good game, good game, the other team will say to you. Uh, That's what it means to be imperfect. I just couldn't quite pull it off. But to be a sinner means I intentionally crossed the line. I intentionally stepped over the boundary. I intentionally shook my fist or worse... In the face of a holy God, and said, I'll do it my way. Now, can you imagine? Try this sometime. Maybe you want to try this on the way home. If you see a policeman, okay, that's, uh, you know, out, honk at him and get him to pull over. And when he pulls over, and when he comes up to you or she, and they come up to you and they say, What's the problem? Do this spit in their face. Okay? And just see what happens. And when they say, hey, what did you do that for? And just tell them, because I think you're a pig. And then open your door and hit them real hard in the knee. And when they kind of go like that, then just get out of your car and go over and kick them. And see how your night's going to go. Okay? See how your night's going to go. Now, you might get away with doing that to me. But I promise you, you're not going to get away with doing something like that to a policeman. See, that's sin. That's transgression. That's iniquity. That is, I know what the line is, and I defiantly cross it anyway. And that's us. And that was certainly King David, wasn't it? That was certainly King David. So King David has been living with himself a condemned, convicted sinner for About a year. Now, David's not walking around with sackcloth and ashes because he's really not repentant at this point. He feels bad. Well, he ought to feel bad. He feels guilty. Well, he ought to feel guilty. You know, sometimes I get a little uh, tickled slash miffed when I hear somebody on the news say, this person, he murdered 23 people and he didn't even look remorseful. Well, there's a part of me that goes... I don't really care if he has any remorse in my opinion he ought to be executed and ought to be executed swiftly for something like that I don't care if he feels bad about it or not on the other hand let's say that this murderer goes before the judge and he says oh judge please have mercy on me and the judge says why should I have mercy on you because I feel really bad about this you know what I would say if I were the judge you ought to be feeling bad you killed somebody you ought to feel bad. You ought to feel guilty. You ought to be this way the rest of your life. And take him off and take him to death row. Okay? And so I look at that and I think it's kind of funny. Does it give a mass murderer points if he goes, I feel really bad? Does it make what he did even any worse if he walks out of the courtroom with a smirk on his face? Well, I would agree it's a horrible thing, but it doesn't change anything. And uh, we look at this and we go... How does God see us as sinners? And there are some sins that you commit that you didn't really intend to commit. There are some sins that are kind of like that. You fell into a trap. You were were tricked. You were deceived, so to speak. But you've got more than one in your life, I guarantee you, where you, in a sense, look God right in the face, like a toddler will do, testing mom or daddy, Do not step over there. Have you ever had one of them look you in the face and do it? Yeah. And that's what we've done to God. And that's what David did, except David wasn't a toddler. David was a mature king. He had been a believer for a long time. He knew the law of God. He knew the word of God. He knew the ways of God. Constantly in the Psalms, he says, teach me your ways, O Lord, teach me your ways. Lead me in your paths, right? This is David who knew better. This is David who at a time when the Bible says kings go off to war, he didn't go off to war. Did your grandma ever tell you that that idle hands are the devil's workshop? David probably should have gone to war and he never would have met up with Bathsheba. David probably should have been leading his armies into battle and he wouldn't have committed adultery. And if he hadn't committed adultery, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have committed murder. And David would have been a different man. But David didn't do that. And like us, he thinks he has a better idea and he thinks that he can leave it to somebody else. And, uh, you know, you've got to fight your own battles. You've got to wear your own armor. You've got to uh, um, stand up against the enemy's attacks on your own and don't leave it to someone else and get idle and passive about it or you'll get into trouble. And so here we find David now after a year of carrying all of this around and God sends in a prophet. And God through that prophet tells David a story and David wants to show what a righteous king he is and he says, that man shall die. Well, basically the guy stole sheep now that's bad but it's not death penalty bad you know why he's doing that because david feels guilty and he's covering up himself and when we are not right with god and when we're carrying sin around and when we have guilt you know we tend to kind of either soft pedal things or we overreact it's all part of the act sometimes and so david is still carrying the act on in front of nathan oh nathan what you said is a terrible thing under god that man must die thinking that Nathan is going to go, what a righteous king we have. Instead, Nathan just takes him, and I picture him pointing a finger in his face and going, thou art the man. And David broke. David broke. And he ran to the tabernacle, to the altar, and repented. And out of that is born Psalm 51. You see, one of the things that I don't think any of us whether it's you individually or us as a church, I don't think we take sin nearly as seriously as we ought to. And what we need to kind of understand is there's sort of a progression that uh, takes place here. And we see it in David's life as well as we see it in um, uh, Adam and Eve and you know, anyone else you want to look at, even yourself. You see, the bait is dropped. Now, I've had people ask me, whenever we sin, is that demons or is it me? Well, somebody's dropping the bait, and it probably wasn't you, okay? When you go fishing, the fish doesn't drop the bait, does it? Uh, Somebody dropped the bait. I think that's where the enemy is involved. And then what happens? Then a lie is believed. So this, this bass is swimming along. He says, I'm hungry, looking for something to eat, and you drop the bait. And uh, the bass says, hey, that looks good. And believes that it's the real thing. It's an artificial lure, but he believes it's the real thing. And he bites on it, and too late, he realizes he can't spit it out. And so then what happens? Well, then the sin is hidden. We've got to cover it up. Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together, you know. David, uh, we don't know exactly what he did, but we know that during this year, he was still going to the tabernacle. He was still uh, doing the sacrifices. He was still going through all of those rituals. He would sing the Psalms, some of them even that he wrote. He was still, you know, leading in prayer before breakfast or whatever it it was that he did. And, you know, he probably, I'm going to make a guess, he didn't pass on any of those things, say, I'm just not worthy. Or if he did, he was very pious. And it made people think he was much more righteous. Oh, no, not me. I am not worthy. You know, that kind of thing. Um, So we don't know exactly. But can you imagine hiding that kind of sin? How do we know that he did that? Well, what do you think the murder of Uriah the Hittite was all about? Remember, when Bathsheba says, I'm pregnant, David says, "Uh Oh, better make it look like it happened, you know, with Uriah. So he has Uriah come home from battle thinking that he'll spend the night with his wife. David's off the hook. Everybody will think it's Uriah's kid. Can I just say, when I read that, it makes David's sin even worse. He was selling out his own child. Let that sink in. David's going to weep over that child and beg God to save that child later on. Remember that? Remember that? Isn't it interesting that's the same child that David was going to sell out and let another man raise? What a hypocrite. So he's hiding in all of this. And you and I do the same thing. You know, the Bible says in the book of James, confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. Maybe that's why... Not too many people are healed. We're not really all that willing to confess our faults to one another because we don't want people to know what we really are. Especially in the church, this gathering of the pious and the holy and the righteous, isn't that right? Well, you and I know better than that. This is a gathering of sinners, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but sinners nonetheless. And so we try to cover up, and we don't. Well, we would die if anyone knew that. And so the sin is hidden. And then what happens? The hypocrisy is continued. We just carry on. We just go on and we start thinking we're getting away with it. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Don't you know David every day right after that happened, he's terrified every time somebody comes in to talk to him. Terrified every time he sees guards talking together. What are they they talking about? Are they talking about me? Are they talking about what... Can you imagine what it was like when he would review the troops and he comes across the soldiers that went and brought Bathsheba to him? Could he even look them in the eye? But he's got to carry on and he's got to continue in his hypocrisy and in the cover-up. And maybe after about a year, he thinks, well, maybe, maybe this is going to work. Maybe I'm going to get away with it. And can you imagine what it was like when God sends Nathan the prophet? What is he doing here? And then when Nathan starts talking about sheep and somebody stealing a sheep, David probably, went, oh, good, it's not about that. And so David piously makes a judgment that was way out of line. Can you imagine? You've had this feeling. Can you imagine his stomach kind of going up into his throat when Nathan says, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Uncovered, found out, busted, we might say. and There David is. What does he do? Well, he runs to God. Well, one thing we know about David is during that time, the joy that he had in the Lord was lost. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, the Bible says. Uh, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if the devil can get you to be a joyless Christian, then you're an unfruitful Christian and you are a tired Christian. Always worn out. Everything saps you of your strength. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Absent joy, absent strength. See what I mean? And so David is a joyless king during all of this time. And then the Lord confronts him. And that's kind of the way it works with you and the way that it works with me. I do something that I know I ought not do. I try to cover it up. And uh, I'm a hypocrite. And I try to continue with that hypocrisy. And I think I'm getting away with it. But the joy of the Lord is gone. And I am just tired. Carnal Christians. I've never seen an energetic carnal Christian They get tired. And their strength is not renewed. Remember the Bible talking about, you know, your strength being renewed as in your youth? Your strength being renewed as the eagle? Not for carnal Christians. Not for them. It takes too much energy to try to cover up your sin. I want to tell you, folks, and you know this, it's exhausting to be a hypocrite. Exhausting. Because you got to work way too hard. You gotta work, you gotta worry, you gotta wonder. Somebody brings up something that kind of sounds like they might be talking about you, you panic inside. Then, when you realize they're talking about a deacon, then, you know, but it takes it out of you. It's hard. The way of the transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. You gotta remember your story, you gotta remember your cover, you gotta remember your alibi, you gotta get uh, everything straight and consistent. It's hard. It's hard. And you know what? The one thing that we know is because the Lord loves us, if you've ever read Hebrews 12, because the Lord loves us, He chastises us. You're going to pay the price. And what is the price? The confrontation of the Lord. You ever had the Lord rebuke you? You ever had the Lord get a hold of you? You ever had the Lord say, that's far enough, son. That's far enough, daughter. I'm not putting up with it anymore. And he gets stern with you, and uh, it's hard. Because the progress of sin kind of works like that, and it works on us. But think of it in its very beginning. How did I get into that sin where I had to become the hypocrite and cover up? Well, think about it like this. You'll have a, a thought And that thought, if you don't get rid of it right away, you know, the Bible says we're to take every thought captive. But you know what? You take that thought in, and then if you don't kill it and replace it with something right, that thought becomes a consideration, doesn't it? And when you start considering something long enough, it's going to turn into an action. And if you do that action long enough, it's just likely to become a habit. And habits that don't honor the Lord, become strongholds. You want the enemy to build a fortress in your life, to take over territory in your life? Paul talked about giving no ground to the devil. Uh, Sometimes we give the demons of hell control because we think about things that we know are wrong and then we consider them, what if, and how can I make that work, and wouldn't it be fun if, and I'll just think about that, and I'll just pretend a little bit, I won't actually do it, And then those considerations turn into actions many times. And maybe you don't do exactly the thing you were talking about, but it causes you to kind of get lax in some other areas and other things get into your life and other things are just kind of left behind. You become an undisciplined soldier of the Lord and you don't report for duty and you're not doing what you're supposed to do and you're haphazard about it. I mean, it just always happens that way. And then it becomes habitual in your life. And one of these days, you're going to get it straightened out. And one of these days, you're going to do it. And then you realize, how come I can't seem to get free here? Because there are strongholds built in your life. And now the enemy is controlling parts of you that only the Lord has the right to control. And it's a hard, hard thing to get out of. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord said, lead us not into temptation. And then right after that, he says, but deliver us from evil. You know why? Because even though God is leading me away from the temptation, I'm too stupid to follow him. And I go over here, hey, what is all this? Ah! And there I am. And he has to come deliver me because I can't deliver myself. Okay? Let me just ask you a question. Is any of that making sense? We see it. We good? Okay? Anybody got a question or anything like that? Okay, let's move on. Because when we get to Psalm 51, let's read this and let's think about those things. David has gotten himself into a trap. And so he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge me. You can put that in there to get the the whole thing. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity was born this way, a sinner. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Man, it goes back even further than my birth. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. See, it was gone. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, I used to have it. I want it back. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of not my salvation. We always say that. No, the joy of your salvation. And uphold me, by your generous spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, deliver me from capital punishment, in other words, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, Open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, does this describe you? Are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now do good in your good pleasure in Zion. Apparently David's sin was affecting the whole society. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous. They're no longer hypocritical. And with burnt offering and with whole burnt offering. And then they shall offer bulls to you on the altar. In fact, the righteous get to the place where they have such a, a blessing of God. They want more, not less. And when you're right with God in David's day, when you would offer one sacrifice, you couldn't wait to offer another one. You didn't do it begrudgingly. It's kind of like us. When you read a little bit of the Word of God and you're right with God, you want to read more of the Word, not less. You want to come to church more, not less. You want more fellowship with the Lord and with His people, not less fellowship with the Lord. And so David is kind of indicting all of us because there's an inner David in every one of us as well. Now, your sin may have been different, but I like the thing that says, don't judge me just because my sin is different than yours. It's all sin. And uh, it all um, has consequences, doesn't it? All has consequences. So we're all kind of in the same boat like David is. And I think that's why the Lord allowed us to know his story and to read this psalm. It's amazing. Let's talk about some things tonight in these first few verses of this psalm. Let's talk about mercy, guilt, and God. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. He didn't hate David. Loving kindness. He had allowed David to live. If, if he had been a, a God like uh, I would have been, I would have zapped David as soon as he even thought about doing that and put an end to it right there. But God didn't do that in loving kindness. He let David live in loving kindness. He confronted him, and in loving kindness, he drew him back into repentance. And then he says something about the tender mercies of the Lord, tender mercies, not mercy with a whip, not mercy with a swift kick in the rear end. But tender mercies, the kind of mercy that forgives, the kind of mercy that restores, the kind of mercy that says that uh, I am willing, I am wanting, I've been waiting to give this to you. Tender mercies. And notice that it says that they are a multitude of tender mercies. God doesn't just have one and you're done. It's not three strikes and you're out or none of us would be here. There's an abundance of tender mercy. Um, I find myself thinking that a lot of times God is with me, but if I'm over here, God is like this. And it's my job to give God a reason to turn around and look. Look, God, I witnessed to somebody. That's good. Yeah. Look, God, I gave an offering. Pretty good. Putting in a little bit more. Maybe okay. And uh, those kind of things. Look, God, I'm in church. Yeah, I think that's good. And then when I mess up, that God is looking at me and going, yeah, I figured. I figured. Well, God, forgive me. Okay. Now, is that tender mercy? No, that's reluctant mercy. And in fact, it's kind of a form of legalism because it says I have to perform to get God's attention and that his natural, natural thoughts toward me and his position toward me is away, disgusted, unpleased. Now that means I didn't really understand the New Testament and I didn't really understand the gospel. If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, it finally dawned on me, God is more interested in me being right with Him than I am. God is more interested in my attitude being right toward Him than I am. In fact, God is the model for how I ought to think of Him. I ought to think of Him the way He thinks of me. And I read in the Psalms that His thoughts toward me every day outnumber the sands of the sea. Mm. And then I read in this that His mercies are tender mercies. They're abundant mercies because Jeremiah told us in Lamentations they are new every morning everything's fresh and new and I've got a God who is not having his back toward me but has his face toward me and he's got these mercies and he keeps telling me through the different Nathans that he brings in my life particularly the Holy Spirit right repent look what I've got turn back to me Just confess your sin. I'll pour mercy out on you and mercy out. But God, I've done this before. It's okay. I've got more mercy and I've got more mercy. And it's tender mercy. It's not sledgehammer mercy. It's not prison mercy that says, well, if you're good, you'll get two pieces of bread and, uh, uh, you know, an ounce more water. It's not that kind of thing. This is so different than what we would do. And yet this is our God. I want you to think about that as you consider what David had to say here in this scripture. Denial about sin, of course, is deadly. Romans 3.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. And mercy, understand, is only for the guilty. You don't need mercy if you're innocent. Mercy is for the guilty. And mercy comes from the judge, from the judge, see, who has the ability to condemn us, but he doesn't, because he has tender mercies, and David says they are abundant. Whoo, man. Praise God, because I think I've used up more than a couple of bushels of tender mercy. Don't look spiritual. You have two. You have two. I mean, that's wonderful, wonderful to think about God like that. Number two, I want you to think about sin's remedy. This is something that you cannot do for yourself. See, the criminal can't come up and say, Hey, judge, I've decided to have mercy on myself and not serve any prison time. Boy, wouldn't that be a joke? And Yet, this is God, the righteous judge, who is giving David this brand new mercy, tender mercy, an abundance of tender mercies are being poured out on David. Now notice he says, blot out my transgressions, and then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Well, sin and iniquity and transgression, they're all kind of synonyms, aren't they? We get that, violating God's law, defying him, those kind of things. But notice uh, he uses different words over here. What does it mean to blot? What does it mean to wash? And what does it mean to cleanse? Well, let's put it like this. Blot means to remove it from the record. It's like liquid paper. It's like an eraser on a chalkboard. It's like an eraser on a pencil, maybe, or something like that. Or it's like painting over graffiti or something like that. You blot it out where it doesn't show up anymore. Uh, Wash is a term that means like to launder. Got your uh, dirty laundry? What do you do? You take it and you put it in the washer and you get it clean so that you can wear it again. You're not embarrassed by it. So he says, blot it from my record. Now wash it like you would dirty laundry. Clean it up. And then when he says, cleanse me, it's the Hebrew word that would be used for getting ready ritually to serve in the temple. In other words, he's saying, make me useful in your service. Let me worship again. Let me serve again. I've got uh, certain people that I pray for every Sunday morning, and uh, I'll Uh, Many times, I I don't do it quite as regular as I used to, but um, I pray for certain churches that I've served and people that i serve served with. And I've got one person in particular that um, I I don't even know. He hadn't shown any fruit of salvation in a long time. But when I worked with him, he sure seemed to be. And uh, I pray, dear Lord, make him useful to your kingdom again. Make him useful to your kingdom. I don't know that he can ever do what he did before, but he can do something. And I pray that God would make him useful. I think that's what David is praying. He's, he's saying, blot it out from the record so that it's, it doesn't show up there anymore. Okay, Expunge it, we might say. And then he's saying, now wash all of the stain and all of the junk and all of the smell and everything that is, that is there. Give me clean clothes. Uh, shower me off, you know. And then he's saying, and make me, by cleansing me, make me useful. Let me worship. Let me serve. Let me minister. Make me useful to your kingdom one more time. Number three, think about cover-up, confession, and consequences. Now, he says in verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Where do I get cover-up out of that? Because it had been a year since he had said that. Before this happened, David loved to sing, loved to praise God, loved to worship, loved to lead others in worship. But boy, this last year has been a grind. It has been hard. He's covering up. But now he's finally acknowledging. Boy, there's something good about being able to just say He knows. I don't have to play the game anymore. He knows. I've known any number of people. Um, I'm thinking about one guy that was in Claremore who was having an affair with a secretary. Uh, Kind of a stereotypical thing, but it really was true. And it had been going on for over a year. He had been living the cover-up life with his wife, with his staff, with his congregation, everybody. And when it finally came out, I had lunch with him. We talked about it. He goes, Greg, I just can't tell you. He goes, it's the first time i felt free in a long time because I don't have to pretend. He goes, it's shameful and it's awful and I'm humiliated, but at least I don't have to try to pretend anymore because they know. They know. You know what David is saying here? I acknowledged it. There's no cover-up. You know. You know. And he confesses his sin and he talks about his transgressions and he talks about my sin is always before me. And then he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. In other words, yeah, I did sin against Uriah. I mean, I don't think he would deny that. And I did sin against Bathsheba and I did sin against my family. But when it all comes down to it, God is the only one that really matters. You sin against God. You sin against God. And uh, David was saying, if I can't get right with you, nothing else really matters. He's putting God on the highest priority on all of this, and you should too. And then he says something interesting, because I've got consequences on there. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. What does that mean? It means that David is saying, Lord, I'm coming clean And anything, I'm praying for mercy, but anything you do to me, I deserve it. And I'm going to tell everybody, this is not God's fault. David's family was messed up from this point on, remember? But Nathan the prophet told him, this is the result of your sin. The sword's not going to leave your household. And it didn't. You know what David is saying in this psalm? That's not... That's not God's fault. It's my fault. He is just when he speaks. And that's what he said. And he is blameless when he judges. In other words, I deserve all of these consequences. I'm not going to be angry with God. I'm not going to blaspheme God. I'm not going to get mad at God. I'm not going to quit on God. I'm going to say, this is what I deserve. I'm telling you, David was a big man. I'm... Half scared to pray that whenever I sin. Now, I'm pretty good about saying, Oh, Lord, forgive me and wash this clean in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. First John 1, 9, thank you, Lord. Isn't that great? But David would probably tap me on the shoulder and say, Why don't you go a little further and show your trust? Do you really trust that God is good? Do you really trust His tender mercies? Well, yeah, kind of well then just go ahead and say, and God, whatever you want to say about me and whatever you want to do with me is just and right because I'm the one that did this. This is on me. Ooh, what if he really did that? It's kind of scary, isn't it? And David was so confident in the goodness of God, he was not afraid to say, and whatever comes my way after this, you are blameless, you're off the hook, God. Because you haven't done anything bad to me. I'm the one that sinned against you. Do whatever is necessary. Whatever you deem is right. You're off the hook. This is on me. Does that make your stomach tighten up a little bit? Does that make you kind of go, that's an uncomfortable thing? That kind of tells you what we think about God, doesn't it? Because it's not like God is saying, are you going to let me judge you? No, wasn't it. David was just simply saying, when you do it and however you do it, I'm going to acknowledge that you're righteous in all of that. Tells us what we think about God, doesn't it? And so uh, the last thing, well, think about this. In Psalm 32, 3 through 5, David said, For when I kept silent about his sin, my bones wasted away. And through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You know, sometimes we go, oh, Lord, we want to feel your presence. Not when you're in sin, you don't. When you're in sin and not right with God, the presence of God is not comforting. It is convicting. Day and night your hand is heavy upon me. It's like, take your hand off of me. God said, nope. And everywhere David went during that year, he felt the hand of God, and it was drying up his bones. His health was being affected, wasn't it? For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He goes, Selah, think about that. Sin has consequences, folk, even physical consequences. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, that's Psalm 51, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then he goes, Selah, what do you think about that? A God that had every right to kick me to the curb didn't. A God that had every right to say, I've had it, that's enough, I'm out of here, I'm done, didn't do it. He stayed with me in covenant, in loving kindness, and with abundant tender mercies. And David says, Selah, don't run right past that. Think about that. Because that's my story. That's your story through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand this that number four, this is our pro life statement. Life begins at conception. Somebody say amen to that. But so does the sin nature. Oh, it's just an innocent little baby. Mm, Not really. Not really. Do they know what they're doing and are they accountable for it? No. But uh, that's why they defy you. That's why they challenge you. That's why they get angry with you. Paul Washer said, when that 18 month old baby is mad at you because you wouldn't let them do something and you picked them up and they are screaming and they are pounding their little fist on you and they're enraged, he said, that's the mercy of God that they're not six foot three and weigh 190 pounds because they would murder you. You know what God has done? He doesn't let human babies with a sin nature start walking the day that they're born. He doesn't let them within a year be fully grown or we would be in trouble. He keeps them small, keeps them little, keeps them kind of manageable. Why? Because just like you, they are born as sinners. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. We want to sin. Now, why do we choose to sin? Well, here's the reason why I choose to sin and you choose to sin, because it's a nature that I have to sin. If I set out two bowls and I put some ground beef in one and I put some lettuce in the other and I took a rabbit and I said, okay, rabbit, you can have either one of those, 100% of the time, the rabbit's going to eat the lettuce. You know why? Because it's a rabbit's nature to eat the lettuce. Now, if I take a dog and I say, okay, here, Fido, have at it, man, salad bar and meat, you know, whatever you want, 100% of the time, he's gonna go for the meat. And so, the reason that I am even attracted to sin, the reason that sin looks pleasurable, the reason that sin ever seems even reasonable, because sometimes it does. What else was I supposed to do? You yeah, know, we say that. Seems reasonable. Only reason it does is because. I was conceived, David said, in sin. Now that doesn't mean the act was a sinful act. It doesn't mean that David's mother was, you know, an adulteress or a prostitute or something. He's simply saying that my problem with sin goes all the way back to my conception when I received the nature of Adam. Read the book of Romans and you'll see that's exactly what happens. Which is why, by the way, Jesus was born of a virgin so that he would not receive Adam's sin nature. which puts it on us, guys. We're the ones that pass it on, right? And when you think about that, David is saying, this all goes back to the way that I was even conceived and even when I was born. I'm a sinner. And I'm a sinner by nature, and sin looks as appealing to me as lettuce to a rabbit or meat to a dog. Sin looks reasonable to me because of my sin nature and David is saying it's the way that I am and I can't do anything about it and there you are the old song says that Christ hath regarded my what's the word helpless estate right see helpless helpless Everything I do, even if I try to head the right direction, I just bring sin and nastiness and all of that with me. I need the blood of Jesus. I need a Savior to take away the wrath of God and shield me from what I deserve. I need those tender mercies. And I need them in abundance because, I don't know about you, but I need them every morning. And I guarantee you I need a bunch more. I need a boatload more by noon. I need a whole lot more before I get home because sometimes that traffic just, you know, your depravity can come out so easy. And you look at that and you go, what did I do that for? What did I get mad at that for? Why did I give that dirty look for? And then sometimes you take that home with you because you pull up in the driveway and you get out of the car and a skateboard is still out there. I told him to put that up. And I'm really not all that mad about the skateboard. I'm mad about something that happened in the day. I'm mad about the traffic. And when it comes in, it's just easy to take it out on the kids. Yeah. Or my wife. Seriously, you're making that again? You know I don't like that. I'm going to Sonic. Eat it yourself. You know, that kind of thing. Does that make for a happy life? No, not at all. Not at all. And you have it to aware, you know, because of our sin nature and because we indulge in all of that, that uh, nobody's happy when daddy comes home. That's a sad thing. And yet, really, we brought it on ourselves, didn't we? When we look around and say, well, I don't have any friends. Well, no wonder you don't have any friends. You're not very friendly, and you're not very fun to be around. You don't build up other people. You tear them down. Why do you do that? Because you've got a sin nature. And that's kind of what we do as sinners. And uh, then you say, well, why can't I have a rich and fulfilling, powerful relationship with God like I used to have? Well, there's only one reason. It's because of sin. And we don't deal with sin like David did. And we don't deal with it as seriously as he did. We're, uh, oh, Lord, forgive my sin. Okay, now I'm on to the stuff I really want. And I wonder sometimes if Psalm 51 is not there For God to put his hand upon us and say, slow down, bucko. Back up. You went way past this too soon. And with nail-scarred hands, he pulls us back. He says, I want you to think about this. And think about what you've done and why you did it. And how merciful I am that I haven't left you. And that my hand is upon you. And there's a nail scar in my hand because I paid for that sin. Don't run past that as quickly as you do. In other words, Selah. Stop and think about it. That's the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. We'll stop there tonight. We'll pick up at that next verse next week. Okay? So aren't you glad that you're a forgiven sinner by the grace and mercy of God? That's really, 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 really good. Okay?